Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of all things film and television. My name is Jeff Zhang, and today I'm joined by Amir Turek. And this is Derek Wong. Uh, this week we have a fun episode for you guys. Uh, we're going to be counting down our own personal top TV episodes of all time. I don't know. Is is it all time, guys, or is this... Not is this... really, I feel like. I feel like it's... Past two decades, I would say. Okay, okay. I mean, it's not even top episodes. It's like... I don't know, most memorable episodes? or most Yeah, most memorable like, is a good way to put it. The way I approached it was not necessarily my favorite ones, but probably the ones that I deemed like most influential within this uh, television scape, I guess. Most impactful. Yeah, most impactful of the last 20 years. I did something similar. You know, I thought about my favorite TV shows to start out with, and then thought about those TV shows, what are some of my favorite episodes of those shows, right? And then try to dwindle it down to just one. Like, I didn't try to have multiple episodes of the same TV show, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I I think uh, we all had pretty similar mindsets when it came to this and putting this list together. Yeah. I think I'll start with, for me, was the first one that came to my mind when we thought of this topic. And the one that it is my favorite episode of this particular TV show, and this particular TV show is one of my favorite of all time, and that's Lost. And it's episode five of season four called The Constant. If people don't know Lost, it's about a, a group of uh, individuals that, you know, after a plane crash are, are stranded on an island. And this is into the fourth season. So, like, uh, we've had flashbacks and flash forwards, kind of moving people on and off the island. And we do meet someone in season two. Uh, His name is Desmond. And we find out that he's been on the island actually longer than any of our survivors because he was there before. Also, uh, spoiler alert, by the way. We're going to be spoiling all these these shows. Also, good luck explaining the concert. Uh, I know. This one's a very (laughs) difficult one. This is an episode where we find that Desmond is kind of... There's a, a ticking clock, right? He has to basically... How do I explain this? Jeff, you can help too, but kind of have to find his constant so that he kind of doesn't get lost in time. And so it's it's really a love story between him and, you know, his love, Penny. And it it's a great time jumping story too, because it, he gets stuck in this mode where he has to jump between his past and his present. The best way to explain it is like, if you've ever read Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, it's like the person being unstuck in time. Yes. So... He uncontrollably flashes between past and present, his consciousness. And the more he flashes, the worse the condition gets. And then there are other people, like, there are people on the freighter who also have this condition, and they start flashing back and forth, and but they don't find their constant, and they die. So, like, they get, like, these nosebleeds, and basically they have, like, a brain hemorrhage, and they die. So, like, this whole episode is, like, Desmond trying to find his constant. And it's pretty much a love story between, like, Desmond and... Penny. And I think a lot of people agree that this is probably the best episode of Lost throughout its six-season run, I think. I think this was the peak. This was definitely the peak for me. I think this might be the first time I've ever watched an episode of TV and then realized I think I might have just watched the perfect episode of TV. It's very, very good. Yeah. 
But you you have a different episode of Lost, right? Yeah, I have a different episode of Lost. I mean, the constant is a tearjerker, and it's the I won't say it's like the culmination, but it's like the quality of the constant is pretty comparable to the other episodes in that season. I think season four is just basically pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah the best it's season. really really good. So. The Constant is a very, very good episode and probably the best episode. But if you're talking about an episode that like you discover the greatness of Lost, I would put Season 1, Episode 4, Walkabout, as the more influential episode. Amir, I don't think you ever got to the later seasons, right, of Lost? No, I didn't. But I remember we watched Walkabout together. So this was the John Locke episode where... It's his first flashback, if I'm recalling yes. correctly, right? It's his it first is. flashback episode. And so when they crash land on the island, Locke is like this mysterious knife-toting hunter wilderness tracker guy. And like he's really good at like uh, doing all these things outdoors, like hunting and like gathering and tracking and everything. And it shows that in the flashback... Like, he's uh, gearing up to go on this walkabout tour in Australia. And, like, the first three episodes of Lost are great. I think they're really, really good. But this was the first, I feel like, jaw-dropper episode where you watch it and you're like, wow, I'm really watching something special. Because that rug pull ending, you don't even think about it. And, like, only afterwards you realize that they never show Locke from, like, the waist down and he's always sitting. So, like, it's not something you even realize. And the reveal of the episode in the last moments is that he was actually paralyzed before the plane crash. And after they crash-landed, he regained the use of his legs. And I just think this was the first example of an episode of Lost where I was just like, wow, I'm really watching something special. This was, like, probably a decade ago, Amir, but I don't know if you remember this. But, yeah, man, it's uh, way too long ago for me to remember that. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's an insane... It's an in, it's an insane episode just from, like, uh, your description and kind of what I remember. That's, that's wild. And it was the first, like, instance where you realize that Terry O'Quinn is just something phenomenal on that show. He's just so good. He, he deserved every Emmy Award that he got for playing John Locke, and it was just really, really good. Yeah, I mean, there's just uh, these are just two episodes. There's of Lost so many that, that are can, really good. This show is just for I, I I know for me and Jeff is one of our kind of most influential shows in yeah. our lives. Even though um, I dislike the final season, <laughs> but doesn't diminish the enjoyment of the previous seasons, though. Well, that's a perfect segue because um, I was gonna go with a uh, Game of Thrones episode, so I don't yeah. know if you want to uh, <laughs> move on with that. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, this this one's on uh, Derek's list too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, but so, um, uh, yeah, I couldn't resist the opportunity to jump in there because that's exactly how I feel about Game of Thrones. I love the show; fantastic show. There's some moments that are just so amazing and stick with you, and then that ending just uh, really kind of taints the rest of it. But wet fart. Yeah, not 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 great. With a, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Um, so the episode I was going to choose, of course. I mean, I think with Game of Thrones, there's only two, right? You can either choose uh, the uh, ninth episode of season one, where Spoiler alert, Ned Stark is killed, uh, or it could be uh, the one I chose. It's uh, the ninth episode of season three, The Reigns of Castamere. 
where um, you have the the, uh, the infamous Red Wedding. What's the episode where Ned starts? Is that Baylor? Baylor, yes. That's the name of the episode, I think, right? Yeah, 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 yeah episode yeah. nine, right? Yeah. It's basically yeah, season, season one, episode nine. nine. It's Baylor, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you know, it's got to be one of these. Uh, one of these. I mean, you know, Baylor starts the trend of that of that penultimate episode of the Game of Thrones season being like a wham episode, but it's only I think in range of Castamere where the form reaches its uh, its apotheosis. This is this is the final form, the uh, of uh, of the yeah. wham episode. I can't experience it truly pure because I read the books beforehand, so I knew what was coming. Yeah, I did too. I wasn't, like, completely surprised, but it's still an experience in a different way because you're experiencing something you've wanted to see on TV in this form for so long. Um, And this moment is so pivotal in the series that the showrunners were like, yeah, if we can make it to this episode and, and, and do this... We'll be happy with what we've done, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a point in the series where the show, um, you know, and the and the corresponding books are just running on all cylinders, and um, it's just an amazing, uh, amazing moment, and it's a completely just shocking, shocking moment of TV. Uh, do you guys remember this moment? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> you mentioned that you've read the book and that you knew that this was coming. I had not read the book. So I had no idea. So this I'm was so curious because me and Amir, we both had the opposite experience with this. Like, were you groomed to think that Rob was going to be the main character going forward? Now that like Ned Stark had been executed at the end of season one and all that, and like, is that what you believed? I don't know if I believed Rob was the main, not the main star, star but like you know, I rem- he would play like a bigger role. Someone right, that could right, win, exactly. yeah, yeah, someone that could take it to the end and possibly win the Game of Thrones. Yes, I, I thought maybe he would be the, one of the characters that would live uh-huh. until the end. So to be kind of have the rug pulled out, you know, underneath me at the end of season three was a huge surprise in the way also that they did it right. With it's not just Rob that dies; it's Catelyn. It's it's <laughs> Rob's unborn baby that he was going to name right. after his father right it's like it, it's his it's his dire wolf right it's all these kind of characters that we've kind of are, are rooting for have been following and then you just basically eliminated a right. house in, in essence i did want to talk about i think what is my favorite part of the episode actually it's the part that i i always remember about the episode is the and it relates to the title right the reigns of castamere is actually mm-hmm. a song Right, it, it's it's a song that um, I believe the Lannisters actually created in the lore of Game of Thrones, and it's the song that Catelyn hears right before the events of the, yeah, the Red Wedding. Yeah, that's such right? a great moment. It's really great. I think it all ties in really well, and it's just a great moment in TV history. And I think this was a turning point where you saw, saw like a new level of glee that book readers took from like watching new viewers of the show react to things <laughs> in the show, right? Like, I feel like you've got yeah. a taste of it yeah. with Baylor and uh, Ned Stark's death, but I don't think anything compared to the Reigns of Castamere. Like, all the videos of just people, like, taping their yeah, family members. Exactly. Yeah, Because they knew what was happening. And... There's something a little annoying about people who's like, oh, wait till you see what happens next or whatever, you know? But, yeah. like, I understand the glee that you get from, like, 
seeing other people's well, reactions. Well, because you know? if you're a book reader, you went through that yourself when you read the books. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's exactly. not done without empathy. I mean, we all we all had that we all had that rug pulled right, out right, from right, under right. us one way or the other. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. Yeah, but to see it on uh, on TV is something different entirely too, right? Such a watershed moment of like yeah, absolutely. TV, I think yeah. Um, that is like event TV, right? That moment. Yeah. That is event TV. I don't think anyone didn't see this on like this one of the most viewed episodes, probably. I mean, is is event TV like dead now? Like, is that it for event TV now? I know that's like a weird we don't digression. Know. But you know, we don't know yet. It feels like it's. I think it just needs another something, another show for people to rally around, and I don't think we found okay. it. So you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not sold on it being done. No. Yeah. No, I, it just needs another show. Like, yeah. That's, right. that's that's it. Because I remember, you know, for me, Lost was like event TV. Like, a, you know, that, that was the show that I would like gather with friends to watch. And yeah. then after Lost, I was like, oh, is there going to be anything else? And then Game of Thrones right, came along. Right, right. And I think yeah. people were asking the same question. Like, what's the next Game of Thrones? Like, I, there will be eventually. something eventually. We're not too fragmented yeah. as like a TV watching audience. It just feels like there's 80 million streaming services. You know, in addition to the 80 million channels we had to keep up with to begin with. Like, is anyone ever watching the same thing? And then also streaming makes it so you're delayed and everybody's watching. Like, that's the other yeah. thing is, you know, when you're streaming, you can just watch it at any time. Like, you don't have to watch it when it comes out. I'll catch up later. So, like, it's got to really be super compelling to force people to watch it immediately as it's airing. You know, it's got to right. really be amazing for people to sign up for a channel they don't have, or, you know, in order to watch. And, uh, yeah, I guess, like you guys say, we don't have that yet. Sorry, that's a digression. Let's, let's let's keep it moving. If you want to talk about viewership, I have this crazy stat to tell you guys. So, like, okay. the Reigns of Castamere had, according to Wikipedia, I guess, um, that's the only source I could find, had 5.2 million viewers. And this episode that I'm talking about, about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, had 9 million viewers. That's Can wild. you believe that? Really? That this show that I feel like does not have the same cultural cachet that Game of Thrones does has almost double the number of viewers. I mean, obviously it was a different time because like there was yeah. no internet. People watched way more TV. Yeah, less channels. Uh, there was no streaming, less channels. And I feel like this water cooler culture of TV hadn't been fully evolved yet. But it's just crazy to think about like the difference in viewership. So, yeah. So this is interesting. I see like two that, I mean, you have an episode of Buffy, Jeff, and so does Amir. And I, I yeah. love Buffy too, but just from the titles, I don't actually remember these, what these episodes are. So I'm actually interested to hear what oh, these are. Okay. If you don't remember, Buffy's first season was not that great. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you guys watched? Any Buffy or like all of it? All of it, I guess. All of it. It's you, probably you since it, it premiered. I would catch reruns. Oh, since it aired. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. since it aired and, and finished airing. Like, I would catch okay. reruns of it sometimes on, like, I think it used to be on, like, TNT or whatever. Uh-huh. I would sometimes catch them. But if you're talking about, like, understanding and, like, following along, it's probably since it's aired. I've seen it since it's aired. Maybe in the last decade, I think. I think I've seen it in the last decade. Sounds about right. Yeah, I've seen it. I've definitely seen it in the last decade. Rewatched it's it. It's not like just when it was on TV. Like it's it's more recently than that for me. So season one is kind of a slog, right? Yeah, it's a little rough. It's like I think the DNA of the show is there. The characters are there. The central metaphor is in place, right? 
Yeah, the, the the essential metaphor that high school is hell, right? Right, yeah. Um, the... I think the Monster of the Week episodes are just just okay. I'm very lukewarm on season one. It's Whenever I do a rewatch of it, it's like the season I'm least excited to like to dive back into. But the episode that I want to talk about is the season two episode. It's really two parts. It's Innocence and Surprise, which is... <laughs> Surprise. Uh, <laughs> Surprise indeed. <laughs> yeah. Or Angel Loses His Soul. Mm. That, I think, just took the show to a whole new level. And it's Agreed. bringing, like, that metaphor of, like, high school life. What it's like to be, like, a young woman in society to, like, a whole new level. It's taking the metaphor of, like, oh, the shitty boyfriend where, like, he treats you one way. And then after you sleep with him, he completely changes into something else the backstory of this is that sarah michelle geller she plays like the slayer her name is buffy summers she fights demons and vampires and she has like on again off again relationship with this vampire angel you don't really know what his deal is like the first season but he's like an ally and they help each other and like eventually they like fall in love and then she sleeps with him at the end of the episode innocence and it triggers the gypsy curse on him, which makes him lose his soul. And he goes back to being like the evil vampire killing machine that he is or whatever. And I also think that these two episodes really brought like David Boreanaz to a new level. Because I feel like he was easily the worst part of like season one and like the first half of season two probably. Because I feel like they just played up his... Oh, you know, like pretty boy brooding vampire character, but like when he gets to cut loose and be evil, it's like a whole different character and he's really really good at it. I think this just brought the show to like a whole new quality. I think this was the turning point where it became like okay television to like must watch TV. What do you what do you guys think? What do you what do you guys remember of of this? This particular episode is definitely one that I thought about including. I remember thinking like, oh, maybe I should think about a Buffy episode. And my mind initially went to this episode, like the the episode that Angel turns, because that was always one of my favorite episodes of Buffy. So I'm glad you have it on your list. What about you, Amir? I absolutely remember it. And I don't remember the episode title, but when you said Innocence, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, it must be this one. And of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Think- for Buffy, you pick that episode or the one I picked. Like, I think it's, again, one of, like, kind of two. It's either or. It's got to be either or. I think the the episode you chose is the better episode overall. But I think the episode that I chose is more, like, indicative of the change in the series. And, like, the birth of, I don't want to say Joss Whedon, but, like, kind of, right? Yeah, kind of. But your, your episode is, oh, it's just something else. Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about yours. Shocking. What is yeah. your episode? So, this is episode, the uh, season five, episode 16. It's called The Body. This is the episode where Buffy's mother dies. Uh... I don't know. It only works because it's so far into the show that you're sort of like, I don't know, you've grown up with, you've, you've had her mother there as a comforting presence for her, uh, supporting for her in the mm-hmm. show for so long. And you've seen, you know, death, maybe not of the main characters, you've seen death treated sort of cavalierly a bit throughout the show. I guess at least to vampires and demons and whatever. Yeah, like Buffy had died and come... I mean, she came back and she died and come back, came back in like the first season. Right. And then Angel died and went to hell and then came back. And, you know, it's like all this mystical stuff. But this was just straight up, yeah. you know, tackling death. This is on. real. Yeah, this is like real 
stuff. And you've and you've seen a lot of like random, you know, background extras get bitten by vampires or killed or whatever. And so this is like uh-huh. a group of people who are sort of a bit hardened with respect to death. And then the show just pulls the rug out from under you. Buffy's mother has a brain aneurysm and just kind of uh, bursts in her head, and she sort of just dies painlessly. And it's so shocking because it's so. It's so outside the normal line of the show. The show doesn't deal with Buffy's mom, really. She's sort of a background character. And, and people, when they die, as Jeff was saying, right. they die in mystical ways. They die to vampires. They go to hell. They come back. They get killed by magic. They whatever. And this isn't that. This is just, like, the sort of death we all have to deal with. And right. and it works super well because it takes the show outside of a central metaphor. And it's just like, yeah, this is, this is death uh, right in your face just as all of us experience it. And so it was a really good use of that kind of shock, that, that kind of shock tactic of making it realistic that wouldn't have worked unless you had the preceding five seasons of it not being realistic, if that makes sense. And there's so many like filmmaking choices in this that make it such memorable and like I would say it's like a perfect episode of TV, right? The episode opens on a happy holiday dinner, right? And then it smash cuts to, like, her dead corpse, and she's just staring into the air. And it's just so effective. It's such a gut punch. Because, like, yeah. when you figure, when you find out that she she dies, or at least is in trouble, is, like, the end of the episode, the, the episode before it, where Buffy comes home, and she finds her mom, like, motionless on the couch, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, but this smash cut in the beginning is just so, so effective, right? And then it's like all the eclectic different reactions that people have when a loved one dies. Like Xander and Willow and Anya, they all have different reactions to Joyce dying. It's just so good. Yeah, like Buffy vomits, Xander's a little pissed off, punches a wall, and like... And, like, it plays with you, too, because initially, you know, uh, initially they do, like, a whole dream sequence where Joyce actually comes back and is revived, and you're like, oh, my God, Yeah, she's, she's like, oh, she's okay. Like, uh, they no, just her. kidding. Actually, uh, that was just a dream. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. it's brutal. Yeah. It's really brutal. It's brutal. I think the thing I remember the most is when Giles comes in, and he goes to Joyce, and... Buffy, she yells out to him, like, we're not supposed to touch the body. And then she, like, reels back and she realizes what she said. What she just said. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's It's so good. And also, there's no music in this episode. It's all, like, diegetic music. One of the most memorable episodes of TV, like, I've ever had, like, the pleasure of watching. It's it's just really good. So, uh, from one kind of, uh, I guess, uh, mythic (laughs) fandom to uh, one that's sci-fi heavy... Um, are any of you guys fans of Doctor Who? You know, I'm not, and not because I don't like it, I just don't have the exposure to it. And I've been told that it's something I would like, so maybe I gotta check it out. It's, uh, it's my one, like, pop culture blind spot, I would say, that's, like, really glaring. It's just, I've never gotten into Doctor Who, I've never watched any of it, so. No, and I totally understand, like, it's not, it's not for everybody, it's, uh-huh. you know, I mean, there's a huge fandom behind it, right? I mean, it helped to launch the the careers of like David Tennant and yeah. Matt Smith. Matt Smith being my favorite Doctor. You know, everyone who's a Doctor Who fan has a favorite yeah. Doctor. Um, but uh, the particular episode I'm talking about is an episode called Blink. So this is during David Tennant's run, and to explain the the premise of Doctor Who. So Doctor Who is an alien who is both a time traveler and a space traveler. You know, he travels in this thing called the TARDIS, mm. and he always has a companion. Uh, with him who's always human 
so they they go on adventures and and all these different things. But uh, this one is it's really unique because it actually diverges a little bit from that formula, and it actually is very light on the actual doctor and his companion, and it actually focuses on a, a character that only shows up in the series once and is played by Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Wow. Right? Yes. What? So <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> One of the great things about Doctor Who is that it has some pretty iconic uh, creatures and monsters. And this is a, a monster that was created by uh, Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat. And then Stephen Moffat later becomes the showrunner for Doctor mm-hmm. Who, I believe, after the season. And he creates a monster called the Weeping Angels. So this is a monster that is basically it looks like a, a stone statue in the form of these like angels, right? And they only can approach you or try to attack you when you're not looking at them. So if you're looking directly at them, they're a statue, they're completely still. But the second you blink, hence the title, they can move forward and try to capture you. I actually do know about the Yeah, I've heard of them too. Yes, they they are one of the the scariest (laughs) creatures I think that um, uh, Stephen Moffat has created for this, this show and uh, Jeff, I think you might actually like this episode because there are definitely elements of horror. horror. <laughs> really, really well done horror. Because I was just going to say that I'm only familiar with the Weeping Angels because I watched a short horror film that was based on the Weeping Angel. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this is like a total one-off episode. Like, you really don't need to know that much about Doctor Who, especially because this is all the also the introduction of the Weeping yeah. Angels. So, like, it's not like you need to know about the Weeping Angels. But honestly, this is one of my favorite episodes because I think it's a great standalone episode. It, it combines, like, you know, uh, a great Doctor, a great villain, and just a great story, and, and, and a great actress like Carrie Yeah, Moore. I kind of like this addition because it's kind of just like a standalone episode. And it's always nice to see, mm-hmm. like, a really strong standalone episode be like highlighted in a best of list, you know? I definitely yeah. want to check this out now because I'm like a big horror fan. And yeah. Is is David Tennant the second doctor after the reboot? Third he yes. is, right? After yes. he, Christopher he Eccleston. Christopher Eccleston. Right? So what yeah, yeah, yeah. so yes. what okay. season yeah. is this? I don't know. <laughs> because you know, Doctor Who's like is technically that a show that's like over fifty years old. David Tennant's technically considered the, I believe, the ninth Doctor. Now I don't even no, he's the tenth Doctor, and and, and Matt Smith, I think, is the eleventh mm-hmm. Doctor. So there's a lot of the the seasons are kind of split up between. It's like by Doctor, okay. By Doctor, more more often, and um, but uh, Jeff's right. This is the the second Doctor after the reboot in like two thousand. I, I don't remember when the reboot happened, but uh, yeah, it was like Christopher Eccleston and then David Tennant took over for three years. Uh, but yeah, Jeff, did you want to do another one on your list? I think uh, it's pretty much impossible to talk about influential TV or TV episodes within like the last two decades without mentioning The Shield, which is Sean Ryan's cop show that ran from 2002 to 2008. I know, Amir, you've seen The Shield. You love The Shield. You love The Shield. Uh, Derek, have you seen The Shield? I have not. This is one show that everyone talks about. Yet I, I just never got into it. Okay, so do people yeah. talk about it? Because I feel like it doesn't really get. I feel like whenever I hear like people offhandedly just sometimes mention like some of their favorite shows, like like Shield somehow like pops in. Okay, that's good. I'm I'm glad to hear it because I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, I don't really see it be mentioned that like often. it's not in that high um, canon of like prestige TV or whatever. It should be. And it really should be. And it's so good. To call it like a cop show is kind of a misnomer almost because like 
when you talk about police procedurals, what do you think of? You think of shows like NYPD Blue, Law and Order, like Homicide, Life on the Street, Hill Street Blues, things like that. But this was something completely different because like this was the birth of FX where they wanted to bring like something edgy and something new to like late night TV. And this show is like always like pulling the rug from under you about like your expectations and things like that. Because first of all, they cast Michael Chiklis as uh, the main character, Vic Mackey. And he'd mostly been known for, like, comedic roles. He played a part in, like, the Three Stooges movie. He was also on this long-running show called The Commish, where he was, like, this middle-aged guy. And he was just known more for his, like, comedic roles. But this was really something different. They put him in this role, and, like, he's really just, like, a force of nature. And, like, the it's kind of a cheat, because I want, kind of want to talk about, like four different episodes here which is the pilot and then the last three episodes of the entire series so like i don't know derek maybe you want to cover your ears or something (laughs) it's fine it's fine (laughs) so first the show is going to be called rampart which is what the nickname was for the corrupt lapd department was but then they changed the title because i guess it was a little too on the nose and they changed it to the shield it's about the strike team for the police department in, in LA and they are morally compromised. They're always doing shady things. And the way that the show is set up is that you have the strike team and they have another character by the name of, uh, what's his name? Terry Crowley. So they have, they have Terry Crowley, who's a detective who's been assigned to investigate the strike team and like all their misdeeds. Um, so like you think the whole show is, set up to be like this cat and mouse between Terry Crowley and Vic Mackey and the strike team. They set it up so that he's like a series regular. He's billed as a series regular. So they did this way before Lost ever wanted to do this with Michael Keaton. You remember this? <laughs> Where they were going to cast Michael Keaton and then kill him off in the first episode. But the shield actually went through with it. So at the end, you think like, oh, it's going to be this whole cat and mouse between this investigator and the strike team. And the end, Vic Mackey shoots Terry Crowley in the face. <laughs> so really wow. pulls the rug from under you. He's like billed as a main character and he's killed off. You think like it's supposed to be like a morally gray area, but like, no, these people are, they're fucking assholes. This episode like really just grabbed me from the beginning and like, it's just a ride the whole way through. I don't know. What's, what's your, did, did you watch the show live, Amir, or no? I feel like I caught up and watched the last couple of seasons live. I think that's what it was. I was the same as you. I caught up through like DVDs and stuff, and then I watched the last couple of seasons live. Yeah, okay. Um, but this is one of the shows that's just, I feel like, close to flawless from beginning to end. And I don't think enough people talk about it that way. Well, especially the also end, the, right? I mean, that's yeah, the really the, amazing thing is that they nailed, they stick the landing. Yeah. The one issue I kind of have with the show is that the strike team never stoops to the level of murdering another officer in cold blood after the first episode. I mean, kind of, but, like, they definitely become more, like, anti-heroes past the first episode. You know what I mean? Interesting. I never thought of it that way. It's like a tiny little quibble I have, I think. Interesting. I I never really thought about it that way. I always thought that they were just complete complete pieces of shit. But all right, I guess... (laughs) (laughs) I guess you really have to murder other cops to be on Jeff's radar. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But the final three episodes of this series is just 
incredible. Like, everything comes to a head. And I know everyone says the series finale is, like, the two-part series finale, which is called Family Meeting, is one of the best series finales of all time, which is 100% true. But you can't really talk about it without talking about the episode that came before it, which was called Possible Kill Screen. So in the end, like, all of Vic Mackey's crimes, they come back to, like, haunt him. And, like, he has to atone for everything that he's ever done. All the drug money that he's stolen, all the people that he's killed, Terry Crowley's murder, all of these things. And it comes down to this one interrogation scene between him and Lori Holden's character. I believe her name's Olivia Murray. I believe she's an ICE officer. It's been a while since I've watched the last couple of episodes. But he has to confess all of his crimes to her for immunity. Do you remember this, Amir? Yeah, man. And she just thinks that he's going to confess to, like, a couple of little crimes here and there. And then he begins his confession with, like, oh, I shot Terry Crowley in the face. (laughs) And it gets worse and worse from there. That scene is just brutal. You can't really talk about the last episode without talking about that. But you want to talk about the last episode? That... One of the best series finales of all time, I think. It's so good, man. Um, so I guess at the very end, he's... Uh, it's just, it's him and one of the other members of his team who are left. Because it's him and Shane, right? Yeah, well, Ronnie, Ronnie's still around. Oh, right. oh yeah, that's right. But Ronnie doesn't get immunity. He doesn't. Big Maggie <laughs> throws him under the bus, which is also brutal. Yeah, it's really rough. Really hard to watch. Yeah, because, you know, the, uh, they commit all these crimes together. And he just, like, when it comes down to it, he turns uh, he tur- he turns on uh, the people closest to him to save his own skin. It's really wild. What do you want to mention about this last episode? What I want to mention is that, so he thinks he's getting immunity for a new role at ICE under Laurie Holden's character. But he doesn't get the last laugh, right? So, like... You think he gets his immunity and he's like back on the streets like busting criminals and things like that. But he actually, he gets saddled with a desk job. His only job is to write 10 page reports every day. So Olivia Murray and like Ice, they get the final laugh. And like Dutch and Claudette, you know, they, they get the last laugh on, on Vic Mackey, right? But, but the final scene of the, of the show is like he grabs the gun from his drawer and he hits the road or whatever. So it's, it's a little ambiguous to, to see like what he's doing, but it's just a perfect finale. I think Yeah, it's awesome. So Derek, we've spoiled the entire show for you. No, no need to, for you to watch this again. <laughs> no, yeah, good, I, got it. I can fake talking about the show. Yeah, no, it's, it's so good. Oh, and uh, Shane murder suicides his whole family. So <laughs> that too. That's awesome. Okay. I'll, I'll remember oh my that God, dude. I'll just like any anytime anyone mentions the ship, like, do you guys remember when Shane murders suicide his whole time family? But really sad. That's that's dude. That's so fucked. Long Gawkins is so good in this. I feel like that's when people really took notice of him. Like the last season of the Shield, where he plays like the antagonist. Um, He gets roles from Quentin Tarantino. He's in Community. I mean, now he's, like, on a sitcom on, on network TV. But he's constantly underrated. I love him as an actor. Um, he's on Justified. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably the big no, thing. The if, big you think, if you yeah. think of him, it's probably Justified, right? If you think of Walton Goggins, it's got to be Justified, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Amir, what, what about, uh, what's another episode you wanted to mention? Thinking about the sort of action-y theme, um, I'm going to go with 24. If you guys remember 24, um, it uh, follows uh, counter-terrorist agent uh, Jack Bauer. The premise of the show, it's taking place in real time. So it's an hour-long show, and it takes place over an hour of his life. And so every 24-episode season is a day in Jack's life. And so each season, it, it visits him at the worst day of his life, you know, I don't know, eight separate times or whatever. <laughs> the guy's life is fucked up. Um, <laughs> Derek, have you seen 24? No. Sorry. This is good. We're, we're All these shows, are, the, the rest of the, the shows you guys have, like, on your list, I'm like, oh, man, I can't say anything because I haven't seen it. This is like, good. We're, po- we're poking shows. some holes in Derek right now. This is excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah you're, you're just giving me things yeah. to, to talk about and fake that I've seen a lot of TV. Uh, so this is, you know, the basic premise is that he's this agent in the character terrorist unit. You're following him in real time. Um, and in the first season, his past, I guess, as a, as a the military operator comes back to haunt him when people from his past basically want to take revenge on him. And so, you know, the, uh, the whole season is full of these twists and turns. But it's actually only in the very last episode that you get the last gut punch. One of Jack's... Um, allies uh, and close associates um, is revealed to be a mole <laughs> and she kills his wife. <laughs> it's like one of the most shocking things uh, I've ever seen on TV. It's just nuts. Um, I mean, yeah. and, and it's the very last episode of the season, so it's like, it's just incredibly shocking. Um, I, I, I don't know how to convey the, like, the, the magnitude of the gut punch you get. I don't know what to say about, like, the quality of the episode or even, like, the season, I think. Yeah, it's more but the I moment. Think this moment, yeah. It's definitely the moment that defines this entire show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, with, like, the shocking deaths and the betrayals, you know. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I can, like, I don't know, stand up for the show in terms of being, like, smart or, like, not racist. Or, like, it's got a lot of problems, um, but... As far as producing like thrilling TV moments, twenty four gets it done. Yeah, and uh, I think the start of that is the last episode of its, of its first season. Yeah. Um, um, someone I follow on Twitter, they just rewatched all of twenty four, and we were talking about like oh, ranking the seasons and like who are favorite characters and stuff. Um, and I think we both agreed that season one is just okay. I think there's a lot of drag uh, in that season. The fucking memory loss and yeah, stuff like that. The it's, amnesia story. Ugh, it's kids rough. Kidnapping. Dude. It's rough. It's rough. It's, rough. it's ugly. Uh, but I feel like one gets a lot of points from me for being a lot more grounded and kind of tighter. Yeah, I would say so. Like, I would agree. it's not the. It's not like the best of Jack. I feel like five's probably the best, right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think. Yeah, five is five's got to be yeah. the best. And I love those last seasons with with uh, uh, with Renee as well. She's awesome. I actually enjoy it. Yeah, you've always seasons. had a soft spot for Renee Walker. But... I like I like Renee Walker, but um, yeah. That aside, I think I think as far as like I don't know moments of the show, even if one isn't the best season, this is the moment of the show. Yeah, it defined the show for like the entire run, right? Um, I mean, if you were going to go with twenty four, what else would you pick? The nuke? That, that would be it. I mean, I don't think there's... I don't, no, think, I don't think you can really go no. with the nuke. Like, no. <laughs> this is the standard. This is it. Thing. It's the standard. it's gotta be this. Yeah, so... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I can even yeah. say, like, watch 24, but if you did, you remember this moment. All right. All right what do you got for us, Derek? Uh, so, I have... How do I put this? I have one episode that references 90s sitcoms really well that I love. And then one episode is actually a 90s sitcom. <laughs> so, <Nice. laughs> 
I, I don't know which one to talk about uh, first. I, I'll probably start Dude, with the, the 90s. Both. That's such a great time. So, both back to back, man. That's, you sold yeah. me. I'll, I'll start with the 90s sitcom, which is a, a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode. And it's uh, season four, episode 24. It's titled Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse. We all know which one this um, is. Do you guys... I was going to say, do you guys know what this we episode is? We all know which episode is. So this is the episode of uh, Real Time Fresh Prince where you follow him. Uh, no. Okay. Um, this is, uh, <laughs> this is yeah, we know what this episode is. So yeah, the, so this is the episode where, uh, if you don't know the premise of Fresh Prince Bel-Air, is that Will Smith's character is raised by a single mom. His dad is left, and but he moves uh, to Bel-Air to live with his aunt uncle. Um, for a couple years. And, Why don't you sing the whole theme song? Um, <laughs> oh yeah, let me let me do that. Uh, no, 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 don't do that. Um, but um, uh, so th- this is the point. Uh, this is a couple seasons down the line, and this episode, his father, his real father, comes back into his life, and um, you know they start to build a relationship. And uh, his uncle Phil, the person who's been taking care of him the last couple of years, doesn't trust his dad, and and you know warns Will and tells you know the dad to to be careful with will and the whole premise of the episode is that they start to the the real father and will start to build a relationship and and the real father invites will out to you know go on uh this kind of like summer trip because his dad is like a trucker and the episode culminates to uh again the dad just kind of disappointing will and and is there to tell uh uncle phil to let will know that you know hey i'm not I, i gotta go you know something came up and we can't do this trip anymore he means to only tell Uncle Phil, but then Will kind of steps in and, you know, figures it out on his own. And the episode ends with a, a confrontation between um, Will and Uncle Phil where, you know, the famous line is said, you know, why doesn't he want me? It's one of the most emotional episodes of TV I, I think I've ever seen. I think so too. Uh, I would say this is maybe the best thing Will Smith's ever done. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that, to, but I, maybe, I, I don't maybe. know, it's man. <laughs> like, I mean, dramatically, I don't know if Will Smith's the best actor. Like, I know he's a great action star, but like, I mean, I think about his dramatic roles and I would maybe even just put this performance on top of that. Yeah, it's pretty this good. last, you know, five minutes of this episode. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not shy to say that, you know, like I, I get emotional in movies, like uh, I'll shed a tear during movies and, but I rarely do it in TV. And this is probably one of the moments where I, I remember like actually shedding a tear. Yeah, I for, for I remember the people saying that this was ad libbed. I'm not sure if that's true. No, I don't think that's true. Uh, uh, is it not true? I feel like is that like an urban? I feel I don't like know. a myth. I think so. I feel like what I read was that this was like extensively rehearsed and like done again and again and again. And, oh, really? Um, okay. And like they yeah. worked incredibly. Like hard I remember. To this yeah, moment. there was. I think. But that's mm-hmm. that's. Hmm. Will Smith was on a podcast um, talking about this moment, how they they had to do it over and over again because is it mm-hmm. James Avery? Yes. I think is the yeah. Other places. Yeah, he said he wouldn't accept it, and he, he, I want to see real emotion. They had to keep doing it and keep doing it until they got the perfect take. Um, this is the '90s sitcom. My my love of '90s sitcom is kind of encompassed in this um, <laughs> in this episode, and the last one on my list is actually um, it's an episode of Community, season two, episode twenty one. The Paradigms of Human Memory. Mm. So I, I don't know if this is the best episode of Community. I think there are amazing episodes of Community. I think it's an underappreciated comedy in the last 10 years. Uh, I think there probably is better episodes, but this is by far my favorite episode. I do because love it plays on Paradigms of Human Memory. Yeah. I just rewatched 
community, actually. Really? So this is me too. Very, me yeah, too. It's on Netflix. I just recently it's watched it. Yep. I rewatched wow, the whole thing. Even that last watches? season. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So this is definitely one of my favorite episodes because it plays on that 90s nostalgia, right? It's it's the episode where it's a flashback well, it's a, it's episode. It's a clip you remember show. From, it's a clip show, but it's like the flashback episode. Right. If you remember in 90s sitcoms, there's always that episode where it's like this clip show where they just play old scenes from previous seasons. Right, right, it's right. like, why are we watching this this episode? And Community plays with that idea by showing you past events of of episodes that we've seen, but in different angles, right? They're all new scenes that we haven't seen, or it's even new adventures that we haven't right, seen, right? right? But they, they all have taken uh, place in the past. And I remember watching this episode and getting really confused. Cause I was like, I remember, I thought I remember seeing this and it was only halfway through the episode. I realized what this episode was, right? It was a, a clip show. It was a, a, a redo episode. And uh, the brilliant thing about the episode is that they're all new scenes. Right. And I, I thought this was such a clever, clever episode. It's, it's still one of my favorite episodes. Um, I just, it's so fresh in my mind. Cause I like just watched this episode. Yeah. too. Yeah. There's so many good lines where, Pierce is like on top of the bookcase injecting himself with flu vaccines. He's like, I'll be a living God. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, yeah. And then, um, Donald Glover, Troy, he's like, everybody knows if you pop the back of a raft, it makes it go faster. (laughs) (laughs) Makes it go faster. I remember that. Um, yeah. So what? Yeah. My last two choices, a 90 sitcom and then a play on 90 sitcom. I think it's Um, just, yeah. And to go back, I, just want to say one thing about the fresh prince of bel-air that episode because like um i think this is an example of one of those sitcom episodes where it's like a very special episode um yes. where it's like a funny show that tackles something serious and it's meant to be more of like a serious dramatic episode rather than something funny um but i i felt that this one was genuine where a lot of those other very special episodes seem more like forced psas almost because like you have like the saved by the bell episode um where, i was gonna where, say you're gonna bring it out yeah where what's her face is is hooked on pills jesse yeah, is uh, hooked, hooked on, on pills. caffeine pills yeah, yeah i'm like first of all they're just caffeine pills it's not like she's on uh ketamine or some shit i don't know whatever uh, it's like cocaine yeah, or yeah. um but this this felt genuine i this was one that i really actually felt was was something yeah. real as opposed to some other other things. Um, so the other episode I want to talk about is uh, the final episode of The Sopranos, Made in America. It's been forever since I've watched The Sopranos. I probably haven't watched it since it was on the air. But this is the final episode where everyone went up in arms over how it ended. Um, so this is the episode where Tony's in the, in the restaurant or the bar, and then... Um, journeys don't stop believing comes on and then it just cuts to black and i remember when this episode aired that everyone thought like their tv or their dvr had cut out um, <laughs> and then everyone's just like what the fuck just happened is this is this the end and i just think it's a genius episode of tv and if you read interviews with david chase the creator he never meant for it to be like controversial or like he was trying to, to like set set up something like super ambiguous. Um, that's just the way he wanted to end the show. I don't know. I, I think it's something super bold and daring and I just 
I really remember it being influential because everyone was talking about it. I don't know if you guys remember when The Sopranos went off the air, or if you guys ever watched I, the show. I remember this reaction, but I, I yeah. didn't. I didn't see. Yeah, it me too. Me too. The show live I remember the talk about it. I remember this was definitely an, an event. You know, something that uh, captured. Yeah. The news once it aired, yeah. and I I've never watched The Sopranos, but. I thought it was a pretty clever. I mean, I read about it. And I was like, "Yeah, oh, it's a pretty clever idea." They set it up like his whole family's in witness protection, and then um, he's like setting up a a truce with a rival crime family, and like all these things are up in the air, and like it's totally possible that someone put out a hit on him, um, and it just ends like so abruptly. You know, it cuts to black. Everyone was talking about it, and I just thought that was one of the more influential episodes of of TV. I'm actually going to switch. I think I'm going to talk about Battlestar Galactica for the last one, 33. Ooh, wow. Uh, okay. Uh, so 33 is the first episode of uh, the Battlestar Galactica reboot, and it's just so, so good. I think it's like a perfect pilot and like a perfect episode of TV. I love that episode. Um, I know. Mm. It's so good. Like, just the stakes that it sets up, how the episode plays out. It's like a nice little breakdown of how people react to like being sleep deprived something that you know about amir yeah 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 you up to, yeah, to record. <laughs> i'm looping this episode yeah. right now you piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> you're aboard uh the ship and then we're the silent attack that happens <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly um but yeah uh have you seen bsg derek or Dude, oh, this, oh this, we should retitle this episode "List of Great Shows Derek's Never Seen." Yeah, holy shit! Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. BSG is awesome, um, and this episode is just yeah. awesome. If you also, if you want to see like, um, like the spaceship running out of fuel chase scene from Last Jedi done well, I mean, it's it's exactly. it's this episode, right? This exactly. is the episode that yeah. that made me want to vomit when I saw that in Last Jedi because it, yeah. this is like. This is yeah. this is that trope done perfectly. Like so, the premise of this episode is that um, the human fleet, which is like the only survivors of the human race, they're on the run from the robots. Uh, they're called the Cylons, um, and somehow the Cylons have tracked the human fleet um, in some way or other, and they're attacked every thirty-three minutes by like a raiding party of of Cylon fighters. And this whole episode is like how like humans are, are dealing with like the sleep deprivation and like how they survive against these attacks but the ending is the gut punch right I mean, yeah like, even like yeah ending. so like the the episode is uh the episode's amazing as you could like the stress and like and so it's like it's already a great episode and then the ending is ultimately um the gut punch so what happens is the Cylons, the you know the evil robots, are, are tracking the ship due to um, a tracking device infiltrated onto one of the ships. So what happens is they're jumping and jumping and jumping and running away from the robots, and then suddenly one of the ships doesn't come with them, and then the attacks stop when that ship isn't with them. So everybody kind of clues yeah. into the fact that oh god, this ship is the one that's being tracked, but the ship, the Olympic carrier, yeah, the over. Olympic carrier, yeah. but the Olympic carrier is like. A civilian passenger vessel with like thousands of people on board. Yeah. Um, so like, there's only fifty thousand people left in the entire universe, and there's fifteen hundred people on this ship. So just think about like the stakes. Right? Yeah, it's like a significant um, portion of the human race left that's on this ship. Um, 
So in order to stop this ship from being used to track them, uh, yeah, they blow it up. <laughs> the ship comes back, right? And it has like a nuclear signature on it. So they, now they think that it has nukes on board or something. Remember? It's yes. like the radiation yes. signature. So, so the president of the colony, she orders our protagonists, our heroes, to destroy the ship. And they do. It's insane. Yeah. It's like real stakes, real consequences. It's just it's just a crazy episode. It's so good. Um, yeah. And it ends because uh, the president of the colony, she has this little whiteboard that keeps track of like the human population. Um, and then like she has to wipe out like 1,500 people off that list. But then like it kind of ends on like an optimistic note because like um, there's like a baby born in the colonies or whatever. So she adds like one to the tally. It's a great little um, moment. It's such a great little moment. It's it's a perfect episode of TV. So we're not spoiling much, Derek. This is the first episode. So you can... Okay. <laughs> it's so good. I can go back still. It's so good. <laughs> so we've got a lot of drama here, but I think Derek picked at least some comedy with community. I've got another comedy here, sort of with uh, BoJack Horseman. I don't know if either of you guys have seen this show. Um, so it's this animated show. Um, it's, a, it's kind of this, in this world where like there's, I guess, people and animal people with animal heads. It's an animated show. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, about, uh, the protagonist, Bojack Horseman. He's sort of a, uh, a rich, uh, washed up actor. And it's about him dealing with his alcoholism, his depression and his bad choices in life. And uh, the episode I chose is uh, Season 2, Episode 11, Escape from L.A. It's another one of these sort of Wham! episodes. And this is another show that sort of does the Wham! episodes in the sort of penultimate uh, episode of the season. So um, in this episode, uh, Bojack, he's kind of thinking about his regrets in life. And he goes back and uh, calls up, you know, sort of one of his lost loves. And, uh, you know, he's just, I mean, if you haven't seen the show, the guy's just a complete piece of shit. Um, but he's still the protagonist. You still feel for him. He has these sort of relatable traits, but he does a lot of things that are just completely morally, you know, uh, reprehensible. So, um, one of his traits being, you know, this washed up actor, he's just a complete narcissist. So he calls this lady up from 30 years ago in his life and he just, um, kind of is looking to sort of get back together with her, not thinking, oh yeah, it's 30 years later, maybe she's moved on at all. So he shows up and it turns out, oh yeah, she's got like a family. You know, she's married, she's got a husband and daughter, and so he leaves L.A. where he lives um, as an actor to go to, I think she's in Mexico, I believe is where she is, in the southwest. Anyway, uh, outside of L.A., it's the, it's the escape from L.A., right? So uh, he goes there, and he lies about why he shows up, because he doesn't want to admit that he's still in love with, uh, you know, the mother here, Charlotte. And uh, in the end, over the course of the episode, he's kind of befriends the family and becomes really close to all of them. And uh, he ends up going to the prom with their teenage daughter, and she starts coming on to him, and he rebuffs her. And then he goes and he speaks to um, Charlotte about how he's still in love with her and we should run away together. And she's like, oh, I have a life. Like, we like broke up 30 years ago. Like, you can't do this, right? And so he leaves the house after having that conversation with her and he has been living in um this boat that he bought um in the driveway um and so he goes back to his boat to go to sleep eventually she ends up following him uh, accidentally and kind of peeks in and she sees him undressing her teenage daughter 
And so it's like an insane moment. It's like one of those sort of like, I don't know, moral lows that you've not seen in like a protagonist of a show before. Um, and so it's just really like, I don't know, sickening thing. And it's um, sort of difficult to wrap your head around uh, how great it is, but it's just an unbelievable moment of... And it's animated too. Yeah, you never see anything like that on an animated show. Yeah, have you seen this, uh, Jeff? I've only seen season one. I never caught up on season two, so this is definitely something. Dude, I'll yeah, you gotta watch. Sure. Yeah, yeah, watch the rest of season two. Push through. Watch the rest of the show. It's like the show itself is really. Um, it's not all dark. It kind of flips backwards and forwards between like this depressing. Uh, tone of like what I'm talking about in this episode and like a sort of a lighter comedy. There's a lot of uh, fun sort of animal jokes because the in this world it's just sort of animal people um, and like uh, light comedy and then back and forth between that and like depression and alcoholism and these sort of darker things and you know so the, that tonal contrast works for some people, doesn't work for others but um, the show's not all dark and depressing and you know awful but this particular moment was just such a shock that I thought I had to include it I definitely have to catch up on it. So, um, so yeah. Last but not least, um, sort of the king of prestige. Well, I mean, not the king, but you know, definitely in that pantheon of uh, prestige TV. I feel like it's okay is, to uh, say king. Is it? Maybe. Is it? All right. Well, Breaking Bad. I don't know. Breaking Bad. Ozymandias. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm conflicted about whether this is the king of prestige TV, but I'm not conflicted about whether this is the king of the episodes because this is this is the episode of Breaking Bad, right? I mean, this is one of the ones yeah. where if you saw it live, you're like, oh, this is one of the best episodes of TV I've ever, I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, In my opinion, way better than the finale. Oh, yeah. 100%. Right? Yeah, 100%. I think the finale is a little tidy. I think it's yeah. a little... Uh, well, the finale is a little um, bit of a cop-out, right? It, a little in, bit. In the, in, the end, it, in the end, the show likes Walt a little bit too much and doesn't sort of make him pay yeah. for his mistakes, which is, you know, unfortunate. But, um, you know, it's, right. it's awesome, Andeus, uh, the 14th episode of episode 5, where uh, all of Walt's sins uh, come back to haunt him. Um, and uh, he gets his brother-in-law, the cop who's been chasing him for the uh, entire uh, uh, show killed, his partner dies, um, <laughs> he gets... He his, loses, like, all his money. He loses all his money, the, he gets his meth dealer partner captured by Nazis, um, yeah. he, his family finally finds out about what he's been doing... Uh, well, his son finds out. His wife's known the whole time. Yeah. Um, he gets in a physical altercation with them. He steals his daughter away from the family. His baby daughter away from the family. I mean, it's an it's an insane, yeah. um, it's yeah. an insane episode. Just from top. His son from like disowns him. Walt Jr. just disowns. That's him, right. right. Yeah, his son disowns him. Yeah. I mean, it's just from top to bottom. It's just it's brutal. So, like, if you want the show to really be what Vince Gilligan said it was going to be about turning uh, Mr. Chips into Scarface then this should have been the actual end of the show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you if you want to stick to the metaphor that you're creating or like what you want to, what message you want to send, then this is the episode that it should have ended on. Not that the final episode isn't good. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's a cop-out. I 100% agree. Uh, not a complete failure. It's not the end of Dexter or something like that. But yeah. it's... Uh... It, 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 it's not as amazing as uh, as this is. This is just one of those episodes of TV that you look back and you go, wow. Just to go off tangent a little bit, I think you haven't seen Better Call Saul, right? I haven't caught up with Better Call Saul. I think I saw yeah. the first season. It's not that it wasn't good. It just, I don't know, I needed a break, I think, 
in yeah. Breaking Bad um, and its universe, I guess. But I've heard I think, amazing. Things I think about it's it. just as good. I think it's just as good. Um, and it's, I think it's something that you should revisit. So, I mean, we're yeah. Why hasn't it gotten the acclaim? I mean, I know it's gotten critical acclaim. Why hasn't it caught on? I think it does get the acclaim. It's just not like the water cooler show that Breaking Bad was. So is it not as sexy or like? It's not as sexy because it's not about. I don't know. There's just something about like I don't know. Brian Cranston as Walter White, uh, just a school teacher becoming a meth dealer and like a criminal mastermind. You know, something about that is much more appeal. Like you can't really explain Better Call Saul outside the context of Breaking Bad and make it sound sexy. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I I think another thing with it too is that I don't know. Like it's. It, it, the fact that it's a prologue and we all know where it ends up can kind right. of hurt it, right? I mean, I mean that's the premise yeah. of the show, right? Is that we know who this guy is and we're going back and looking to see how he became this and that his destiny is foretold and he's never going to be any better than he is at the very beginning of Better Call Saul. He doesn't become a better person. He becomes a worse person, right? I mean, you know, that it, that's baked in from the beginning. And I guess maybe... You can find that limiting. I don't know. I, I, I tend to find these prologue things a bit limiting in general, um, just because you feel like you're locked in. Whereas, you know, yeah, part of the joy of a But with the character of Saul, there's like, there's a little more room to see like where he goes because it does bookend it to like little black and white sequences of like after Breaking Bad. Right. So there's, there is a possibility that it'll add a little more color to the character in the future uh, past Breaking Bad, right? right so, yeah. Um, yeah. But, all right. Nice. All right, yeah. I think that should uh, that should cover all the episodes that we wanted to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, I think we uh, And with the strongest yeah. episode of one of the strongest prestige uh, drama, drama TV shows uh, in history, I think it's a good ending. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so if you want to read more about TV movies, you can visit the blog at strangeharbors.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. And what about you, Derek? You can follow me at the wrong dig. Dig is spelled D A Y I K. And that's for Instagram and Twitter. Amir? Yep. And then uh, you can uh, follow me at the letterboxd. If you like this podcast, please follow us on all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, one of the easiest ways to help us out is to give us a good star rating and a good review. That really helps to get our podcast out to more people as we want to expand this podcast out to as many people as we can. And if you want to send us any emails, you can send it to jeff at strangeharbors.com. So until next week, we'll see you guys then. All right. See everybody then. Masks up. Till then. Thank you.